morning, church. Tell you what, it's been a good day already, and here in our ongoing Advent study from Luke uh, chapters 1 and 2, we've been exploring just some of the many, many times that we find throughout the Christmas narrative where God's messengers were commissioned to go tell it. I mean, from angels to parents to shepherds to prophets, we see over and over again where people were excitedly telling the good news of the Christ's birth and the salvation that he came to bring. For today, we're going to skip forward to Luke chapter number two. And so let me encourage you to go ahead and turn there in your Bible to Luke chapter number two. You know, this is the classic Christmas passage. For there in Luke 2, just seven quiet verses relay the Christmas story as we know it. From uh, uh, the, the, the decree of Caesar to the arduous journey to Bethlehem, no room in the inn. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. It's all in just seven verses. But it's the next seven verses that are going to be our focus for this morning. For that's where we read about an angel of the Lord who appeared to some Judean shepherds out uh, in the, in the, on the hillside, and there came with good, good news. Now, we're not told just how many shepherds there were. Um, but what we do know is that they represented yet one more generation in the long annals of Jewish genealogy, one more generation who'd been waiting and waiting, and waiting with longing hearts. They were waiting for the Messiah to finally arrive. You know, I believe it was Christmas of 1984 when I, as a 10-year-old kid, had to wait through what seemed like the longest night for Christmas to finally arrive. We spent that Christmas Eve at my grandmother's house, and yes, it was Grandma Pearl's house. I know many of you were introduced to her in our Advent Okay, maybe you weren't. Anyway, uh, you read about Grandma Pearl this week in our Advent uh, devotional. And let me just say, by the way, it's not too late to participate in our daily Advent devotional readings. You can just visit firsthurst.com forward slash Advent. And um, from there, you can download the entire booklet. You can listen to the daily readings. You can subscribe to our daily podcast to hear that. But uh, back to Christmas 84. We had close to 20 people by my count in a small, modest home that was built for maybe half a dozen. You ever been there Christmas Eve crammed into grandma's house? And I mean, people just here, there, and everywhere. When we finally went to sleep that evening, I somehow scored the living room recliner, all right, which which sounds pretty good, except I wasn't really sleeping, (laughs) you know, between the overwhelming excitement and anticipation of Christmas morning to come and the not-so-comfortable old recliner in Grandma's living room, I woke up, I think, somewhere around 2 a.m. that Christmas morning, and I could not go back to sleep no matter how hard I tried. I'm awake, wide awake, but no one else was. And you'd think that that'd be kind of a win. I mean, you're in the living room, right? except the Christmas tree and all the gifts were stationed in a different room of the house that year. And so I remember distinctly just laying there bored out of my mind. And my grandmother's house, her her living room ceiling had this common uh, textured pattern uh, for, the, for the time. And uh, many of you have seen it before. We've got a picture of it for you. In fact, do you remember these ceilings, right? You've seen that. They call it a fan pattern. And I remember 
through the darkness, there was enough light that I could see the circles on the ceiling, and I spent the eons of time that it felt like counting how many circles were on grandma's ceiling. I mean, that's how bad it was. I was so bored, and I could not wait for Christmas. And um, eventually, finally, I mean, I lost count. I, I couldn't keep up. But eventually, everyone else woke up, and the joy of Christmas flooded into that small Fort Worth home, and I forgot all about how many circles there were. Well, come back to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to tell you, those shepherds, they were passing just another long, dull, dark night. And I'm pretty sure they were not counting ceiling circles that night, but they may have literally been counting sheep, <laughs> all right, as they were waiting through yet another night and waiting. And then the angel of the Lord interrupted their boredom with the unspeakable joy of Christmas. Once more, we find the Lord's appointed messenger sharing the good news of the Savior. We read about it in Luke chapter 2. Look with me beginning in verse number 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." Verse number 10, the angel said, I'm bringing you good news of great joy. As that unnamed angel shared the news of Jesus' birth with these shepherds, it did produce great, great joy. Great joy in the shepherds themselves. I believe it produced great joy in the angel, the one who was privileged to be the, the messenger to deliver this message. And don't miss this, I believe it also produced great joy in the Lord himself. For you see, God is supremely delighted when his messengers share the story of salvation with others. When we go, tell it. In other words, God is supremely delighted. It is cause for his great joy when we have gospel conversations. Now, church, you know we've seen lots of ways to have gospel conversations as we've been studying through the book of Acts throughout most of this calendar year. Well, in our text for this morning, we find yet another template for our gospel conversations, and especially those that we have during the Christmas season. It's in verse number 11, and there a single sentence summarizes the glorious truth and the hope of the Christmas message where it says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We're going to kind of unpack that one sentence this morning and notice from verse 11 first how the angel told the shepherds about a personal gift, a personal gift. He said, unto you is born a savior. You know, growing up, uh, my older brother and I, we were close enough in age that we often got a stack of the same presents, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> and I think that's survival for parents, all right? I get it now. But... Um, but uh, uh, he and I, you know, we were close enough in age that that often happened. And now, he was always quicker on the draw than me. I mean, he could be through his stack of presents before I even got the wrapping off of the first one. And like, so I knew what all my presents were, it seemed, before I ever even got to them. 
feel bad for me, right? Oh, oh, poor thing. But let me tell you, it was always extra special when I got something different than what he got. It was a personal gift. It was something with just me in mind. Well, let me tell you, the salvation gift of Jesus, it sets the bar for personal. You see, it's not just what the world needs. And it's not just what evil people need. The the, the gift of life in Jesus Christ, it's not just what religious people need. It's not even just what we who are gathered here together this morning need. The gift of salvation in Jesus Christ is precisely what you personally need. You see, Jesus came to give this personal gift of salvation with you in mind. It's as personal as it gets. Now, I know it doesn't always seem that way, especially as you read through the, uh, the text of God's word, like John 1.29, for instance, where it says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or, or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I mean, you hear this, the world so many times, it's like, well, that seems more general. Doesn't even feel all that personal, does it? But let me tell you, it's not like you just get clumped in with all the other billions of human beings in this world, no, the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, it is for you individually. He's the Lamb of God who died to take away the penalty of your sin. You are among the whoever believes in him. You don't have to perish. You can have eternal life. Jesus came not to condemn you, but in order that you can be saved through him. Salvation in Jesus Christ is a personal gift for you. We continue in that sentence in verse 11, and next we see from the angel's Christmas gospel conversation that he told the shepherds about a prophetic birth, a prophetic birth. He said, unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now, like we said earlier, those shepherds, they would have generally known about the Messiah to come, that he was prophesied to come. And they were surely longing and waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. But I'm not real sure just how intimately familiar they would have been with the many Old Testament prophecies that pointed to the Messiah. You see, the Old Testament is just replete with prophecies that speak to the Savior's coming. And that includes even the often overlooked finer details that said he would come as a baby born specifically in the city of David. In fact, more than 700 years before the birth of Christ, it was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Two chapters later in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophet Micah foretold his birthplace. In Micah 5, 2, he said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, that is David's hometown, or the city of David, You who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me. One is to who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from 
ancient days. You see, Jesus' birth was prophesied, but somehow generations of longing Jewish hearts missed and failed to understand the prophecies. Oh, there was this expectation of the Messiah to come, but not necessarily that he would come as a child. I mean, who would script it that way? And, and, you know, similarly, it still is today that the Christmas story has been told over and over and over again for so very long, and yet so many people don't even understand what Christmas is really about. In some families, entire generations come and go with no knowledge, no mention, and no celebration of the birth of Christ, the spiritual roots behind Christmas. Even among those who do know the story as it played out in Bethlehem, many fail to grasp the incredible importance, the history-defining importance of the Christ child's prophetic birth. You see, we don't focus on a baby's birth at Christmas just so we'll have this quaint, touching story that kind of pulls at our heartstrings. No, we focus on this baby's birth because in order to accomplish our salvation, Jesus had to become one of us. And yet it was a virgin birth. And that's so critical critical because it tells us that though he became a man, Jesus had not the sinful nature that plagues all of mankind, though he was one of us and indeed was tempted to sin in all points just like us, yet he remained holy and innocent, unstained by sin. That too is critically important because it it meant that he could one day offer himself He could offer his physical human body as a righteous offering, a sacrifice for the sins of man, a sacrifice that was holy and pure as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Because of his righteousness, he was able to pay our sins penalty. Not only was his sacrifice all sufficient, but it was all pleasing unto the Father. And also he conquered death, hell, and the grave You see, in his prophetic virgin birth, he became one of us. And yet he was wholly unlike us, unique among us, unlike any other, so that he alone could be our Savior. And that, in fact, is the next point we find in verse number 11, a promised Savior. He said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Well, he didn't say a baby. I think that goes without saying because he was born, right? Right? But he didn't say unto you was born a teacher. He didn't say unto you was born a healer. He didn't say unto you was born a great humanitarian. He didn't say unto you was born even a political leader. No, the angel told those shepherds of precisely what they and we most needed. Unto you is born this day a savior. I think we all kind of loosely understand that word savior, but I'm afraid we kind of lose its uh, um, proper context. I mean, football fans often will talk about, they look to a new quarterback who's going to be the savior of their team's season and championship hopes. Or, you know, many in America will be looking for a savior to save our country in next November's ballot on, on the ballot sheet. 
That's not the kind of Savior the angel's talking about here. When he announced to those shepherds that the child born in Bethlehem is a Savior, it was something altogether different from that. It was in the fullest meaning of the word. For that child uh, was Jesus, the only one who can truly save us, who can save us from sin save us unto eternal life. You see, when we celebrate Jesus as the Savior, it's not because um, he can get us out of trouble or because he can make our lives easier or more comfortable. No, it's because he and he alone can forgive us of our sin and save us give us new life. Only he can redeem us unto himself. We celebrate him because only he can transform us from a life of sin and shame to a life that's forgiven with eternal new life in him. Soon you're going to read in our daily Advent devotional a story that I'm about to share with you. And I've tried not to double dip there and give you stories on Sunday that you're also going to read there. But this one bears repeating uh, and mention here this morning because it so clearly illustrates our need for a personal Savior. Before I came to First Hearst, um, I served for a decade at another local church, <clears throat> excuse me, local church, and I, uh, I served in student ministry for those many years. And um, it was the late 90s, and Stephanie and I, we had just one child at the time, uh, my oldest, Jeffrey, and he was a crawler, and I mean a fast crawler. <laughs> at the, you know what I'm talking about when the babies get in that stage, and they just go in all the time if they're down, and was happy to do it. And um, uh, it was a Wednesday night, and we did student ministry on Wednesday nights, like we still do, but we did it in an upstairs classroom in our gymnasium building. And um, now, I worked at the church, of course, and we had a child care center on site, and Jeffrey was there. I picked him up at the end of the day and Stephanie was not there from work yet, so I just took him with me upstairs to, the, uh, to where the students were beginning to gather. And let me tell you, in student ministry, that's never a problem. There's always teenagers happy to care for a baby. And so I handed him off to a trusted teenage girl there who was just overjoyed to take care of, you know, this, this baby. And um, I was just getting things ready and milling around, talking with students as they were arriving. And I'm telling you, I am mid-conversation. And I had this sensation that I had never experienced before. It was the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me in an instant and said, now find your son. I didn't hear those words, but that was... The, the, the message to my spirit. And I am mid-conversation, and I did not stop for and wait for a time to say, you know, would you excuse me just a minute? I just, mid-word, I just darted toward the door to the classroom, which I now noticed had been propped open. And so um, I think I'm knocking students out of the way to get over there, and I get to the, to the doorway and poke my head out and look to the right. And about 20 feet down this upstairs hallway... I see the blue and white striped onesie that my son is wearing that day, crawling feverishly toward the iron stairwell. He's 20 feet from me and about two feet from the stairs. And I want to tell you, panic seized me like no other time in my life. And in that moment, I had this sudden realization that his life was in my hands. So humanly speaking, I was the only one who could possibly save him. He was hurtling himself towards certain death. And I'm not saying that to be dramatic. I'm telling you the reality of the situation. And so 
I don't know how it happened other than the power of the Spirit of God, but I'm telling you, Usain Bolt could not have gotten to that stairwell faster than me that evening. I don't know how I did it, but I got over there just as he got to the edge of the, of the top landing and put his right hand over and began to go down. And I, you know, I'm moving, and it, I don't know what speed, but I get there, and I've got to stop and steady myself and somehow balance myself without falling down the stairs. And I bent over like this to scoop my arm, and I'm sorry if you're behind me. It's Christmas in the round today, right? And um, um, I, I, I scooped my arm down uh, to get under him and pull him up to myself. And just as I did that, I didn't quite get his center of gravity. I got him a little bit high, and so as I pulled up, well, it sent him into this tailspin, head over heels. He's spinning now midair, but it also pushed his momentum further out over the stairs just a little bit. And so he's further out and he's tumbling head over heels and falling iron stairwell beneath him. And I'm like, what? I've got to get my hands on him somehow in this moment. And by God's grace, I was able to get a firm grasp on him. Now, it felt like 12 minutes I'm juggling this baby, but it happened about that fast. And somehow, I got him secured in my grasp without falling down the stairs myself. And I just lunged myself back and lay down on the top stair landing. And I've got a grasp on him that I'm not letting go. And moments later, I mean, he's just like giggly, like, hey, that was fun. Let's do that again, you know? And um, moments later, Stephanie walked in the gym and came around to the bottom of the stairs and looked up and went, hey, what are you guys doing, you know? And, and I couldn't even speak. I don't remember if she walked up the stairs or if I went down, but I got him to her and said, I need a minute. <laughs> like, that's all I could say. And I had to get alone and kind of collect myself. And um, you say, Jason, why are you telling me that story? Because you see, my son was completely oblivious to the fatal danger before him. In fact, he was rushing toward it, literally toward his own death. And similar to that, I want to tell you, people all around us every day are rushing toward the looming danger of eternity without Christ, where they will be separated forever from their creator. They will pay the penalty of their sin and the torment of hell and eternal death. Don't you see? We all need a Savior. And now you have to pardon me for the analogy here, but much like I was the only one who could possibly save my son in that moment. Friend, Jesus is the only one who can save you from the penalty and the curse of sin. There is no other Savior. Your life eternally depends on him. Your life is in his hands. And I want you to know, he did not fail. He didn't stumble and he didn't fumble when it came time to secure our salvation. The promised Savior born in Bethlehem now invites us personally to come unto him, to trust in him for forgiveness and eternal life. This is why he came to earth, to become one of us so that he could be our Savior. And the unshakable promise of God's word is that if you will acknowledge and repent of your sin, if you will trust in Jesus alone as your Savior today, he will save you.
He will make you a new creation in him. He will forgive you and give unto you eternal life freely as a gift. Your life is in his hands if you'll turn to him in faith today. He'll snatch you from the path of certain death and rescue you from the curse of sin. That's what the promised Savior does. He saves. One final point then that we see from the angels, one sentence Christmas message to the shepherds. He talked about the preeminent Lord. He said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, as if it were not fantastical enough that the angel was telling these lowly shepherds about the Savior who'd been born. He took it to another level. He said, the Savior, he is the Christ. They knew exactly what that meant. The Christ, that's the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for and longing for, that they lived to see the time of the Messiah was by itself amazing. But I'm telling you, the angel didn't stop there. He took it to still another level altogether. He blew the minds of the shepherds when he said, the Christ that is born, he is the Lord God himself. Not only was this baby the Savior and the Christ, he's also the preeminent Lord, the Almighty Yahweh Adonai. You see those countless generations of Jewish anticipation for the Messiah. They had not expected the Lord himself to be the Christ. It was even more wonderful than they'd ever hoped. Uh, uh, The gospel writer John uh, he, he reveals this same truth to us in John chapter number one. Now, you got to understand that unlike Luke, John's gospel doesn't begin with the Christmas story. He begins with the creation story. Much like Genesis 1-1, it begins in John 1-1, in the beginning was the word. That's a reference to Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He's telling us that Jesus is God himself. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He is the creator. In him was life. He's the life giver. And the life was the light of men. He's established that the word he's referring to is the almighty, eternal, preeminent Lord. And then in verse number 14, he gives us a one sentence Christmas message where he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only uh, son from the father, full of grace and truth. Yes, that holy baby that we celebrate, born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, he is the ancient of days, the holy one of old, the, the one true God without beginning or ending. It's beyond our understanding that he arrayed himself in the flesh of man. He became like we read in Isaiah chapter 7, Emmanuel, God with us. The true marvel of Jesus' incarnation is more than we can even grasp. Because you see, at Christmas, the preeminent Lord, the sovereign God of all, humbled himself to become one of us. He became the anointed, long-awaited Messiah, the Christ. He became our Savior. But he entered this sin-sick world as a humble baby, born in Bethlehem, in the city of David, where he came to save us. It's where he came to save you. 
church, I want to tell you this morning, if we, if we could just keep our, our, our focus on Luke 2.11 this Christmas season, if we could keep coming back to that, it will guide us in our gospel conversations throughout the season. Because it speaks there of this very personal gift through the prophetic birth of Jesus. It tells of the promises fulfilled in the coming of the Savior, the very one who is indeed the preeminent Lord himself. And as verse 14 then tells us, God is greatly glorified in all of this. Verse 14 is where we read that uh, there was this multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. You see, it was glory to God in the highest because of the incarnation of the Christ. It was glory to God in the highest because the gospel was put into action. And don't miss this. It was glory to God in the highest because the story of salvation was told by the angel to the shepherds. And I want you to know God is still so greatly glorified when we, his messengers, tell the story of salvation in Jesus Christ our Savior. When we will go tell it, when we share with someone else, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen? Let us pray together. We thank you, our Father, for this glorious message of hope that we have in Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. I thank you for this single sentence summary that tells us of this personal gift unto us, unto each of us individually, was born a Savior, and is you, our Christ the Lord. I recognize this morning, God, that among us here, there are likely several who they never have trusted Christ as Savior. They've never received this personal gift that you offer. And God, our desperate prayer this morning is not only that we, your followers, would continue to go tell it this simple story that is so profound of salvation in Jesus Christ, but Father, that those even here with us who have never trusted you, even today would be drawn unto yourself, would trust you for salvation today, for you are the only one who can save them. We ask for your gracious help in this, in Jesus' name, amen.